Aloha, good morning. Thank you for joining us for your online worship experience with us today here at New Hope Community Church. Today is actually the fourth week of our series, History or His Story, which is connecting the history of God's redemption to our story of salvation. You see, all of history points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, all of history points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We went through the first week in creation that we're made in God's image. And even in Genesis, as early as Genesis 3, we have uh, what we call in, in theology a typology, meaning it is a type or is a foreshadow of Christ. We have the pro-evangelion, which is the first sign of good news, where, where God uh, condemns the serpent and says, you know, you will bite him in, in the heel, but he will crush you on the head. Uh, meaning that uh, through the person of Jesus Christ, there's a good news that sin will be defeated and death does not win. We went through Exodus and how God is a God who delivers us, that God has set us free so that we could live free. Even when people were complaining, the Israelites were complaining, and they got bitten by snakes, and if they looked to the snake that was high and lifted up, then they could be, uh, their lives would be spared. In the same way, it's a foreshadow or a, foreshadow or a type of Christ, that, bro- that bronze snake, that if you look to Christ, your life would be spared. And last week we went through exile, that even in the midst of judgment, when the people of God were exiled out, there is hope. We see Isaiah 53, how about Jesus, how he is a suffering servant. And we went through last week, Jeremiah, that even in the life of hiddenness, just like Christ was hidden, uh, there is significant work that God does. And... This morning, we're going to connect everything together in our response to the story of God's redemption. And we have just an um, amazing family, a couple, uh, Eric and Nicole Chang, who will share their testimony of heart, heartache, grief, loss, and even death. That even despite these things, Jesus is a God of redemption. So why don't you prepare your hearts? And let's take a look at God's story of redemption in their life. May 2007, and I get this phone call from my neighbor saying, go to the hospital now because your wife had collapsed. When I finally get there, the doctor's telling me that I need to just go and say my last wishes to her. Life after Lori was gone, it was it was really rough trying to raise three kids, you know, without a partner in your life and trying to hold on to God's got a plan for your life and everything's gonna work out. I remember just going to the New Hope website and reading all the prayer requests. And I kept reading them and reading them and just thinking, you know, there's so many other people out there that were going through worse problems than I was. That's when I kind of picked myself up and kind of started moving away from that depression. I just knew that I wasn't in control anymore and I just basically surrendered it and just this burden was lifted off of me. 
So basically, I grew up in a Christian home with two loving parents. I had great education. I couldn't have asked for a better life. At age 19, I married the love of my life. We had come to some really difficult times. Um, he kind of walked away from the Lord, just brought our marriage to a demise where we ended up getting divorced five and a half years later. And um, it was probably the toughest season of my life. But through this season, God got a hold of me at one specific moment. And I remember the Lord said, if you would just stop running away from me, I would, you know, I'm here for you. Mia was invited to camp. Nicole Harris ended up taking her. After camp, she ended up spending time with Mia more often. And so through that camp, Eric and I talked. We were kind of just more buddies at that point. But as God would have it, I mean, we started realizing like we actually ended up liking each other. And we dated for seven months and were engaged in seven weeks and planned the planned the wedding and uh, got married and the kids were really excited. Since Nicole had a accounting and business background and I had all this uh, cooking experience, um, she said, why don't we open a, a restaurant? Um, seven months after we got married, we opened Moena and we just thought this was it. In the process, within the first year, we were approached by some Japanese investors asking us if we'd want to open a restaurant in Japan. And we went to Japan and we opened one store in uh, Omote Sando and we opened one store in Kyoto. And that took off. A little while later, we opened in Shanghai and a couple years later, we opened in Taiwan. And now we're going to open our sixth restaurant and we decided to open on the west side. There was no red flags. And I just kept praying, Lord, I just, we just want to be in your will. We just want favor. We went from 17 employees to 90 employees. I mean, it was just an overnight beast. And I just started thinking, it's not going to work. And I started to prepare for the worst. My dad was taken in November of 2017. At the same time, Eric and I had, um, had lost some babies that we were, we were pregnant. And, um, and at the same time, we were going through the roughest patch with our business and knew we were losing that as well. And I think that's when I really felt that I had done something wrong. I didn't know what I did to deserve this. I said, Lord, I follow you. I do my devotions. I love you. I serve you in church. There's nothing we're doing, and I just didn't know what to do anymore. But I knew in my heart I had to just keep having faith in God and that it was either follow the Lord or give up on the Lord, and giving up on the Lord wasn't an option. I literally laid it down, and only by the grace of God I felt peace. I have realized that through the failure of what I thought was failure of Kapolei, through the loss of my father, through the loss of so much, through the loss of our children, through everything, um, I just know without a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful and He's good and He turns every failure and every loss into a redemption story. What's gotten me through all the tough times? Developing church relationships with other members and spending time with our life group that we have. It, it's just very comforting knowing that we're not going through all this by ourselves. There's still to this day, so many question marks. I mean, it's not, we don't live a perfect life. He's, he's still writing our story, and the story is redemption.
wasn't that an incredible story of God's redemption through the ups and downs of life, through the highs and the lows, God is at work and He's redeemed. Um, hey, if you guys have appreciated just the people, whether it's the Koreas or Felicia Lum or now the Changs, if you've appreciated their transparency, their candor, their vulnerability, could you just put a thumbs up or a shaka or a like or the hands up in celebration uh, emoji sign in the chat box right now and just uh, show your love and appreciation because it's through the power of our testimony and through the blood of Jesus that we're able to overcome the accuser of the, re of the brethren, Revelation says. Amen. Well, uh, in our text this morning in Acts 17, so open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Uh, Acts, if we could remember that Luke and Acts uh, go together. They're both written by Luke. It should actually be Luke-Acts, where Luke talks, um, narrates and records the life of Jesus and his ministry. But Acts, it records the acts of the early church and how it was birthed forth. So it kind of goes together. In Acts 17, uh, Paul, he's standing in Areopagus, which uh, the New King James Version says Mars Hill. So he's in this public agora, this public um, meeting place in the city of Athens, and he's surrounded by the intellectuals of the city. So as he goes to the marketplace to debate or to have dialogue, he sees that there's an inscription to an unknown God. And so in Acts 17, verse uh, 23, he begins to preach a sermon to them. And he begins to narrate the history or the story of God. And he gives them a brief, um, his, uh, a brief redemptive history of God at work. And he calls them into action. So let's go ahead and read Acts 17, verse 30. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. If you write down your Bibles, if you take notes, would you underline or circle that? The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed... And all of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, have you ever experienced a season in your life when something was done? Where there was a, a, a period, a dispensation, as it were, of time where something started, now it stopped. If you have raised kids, maybe there was a season where your kids were in diapers and they were potty training. And once they learned how to potty train, boom, that season is power ready of buying expensive diapers and stopping what you're doing so that you can potty train your kids and change and uh, change and wipe diapers. Um, maybe it's your kids having a driver's license. 
for the first 17 years of their lives, you drove them around, you picked them up, you dropped them off everywhere, everywhere they wanted to go, soccer practice, band rehearsal, football games, to the mall, to the skate park, to the beach, drop them off, pick them up. But as soon as the first child gets their driver's license, the season of picking them up and dropping them off is pow, it's done, it's over. Uh, maybe you could have, there was a season where you went through your undergrad in school and you were a starving college student and you survived off, you survived off of uh, Simon, Vienna Sausage, and for my, in my case, 99 cent Jumbo Jack from Jack in the Box. But once you had your full-time job, boom, that season of being a, car, a starving college student is done. Well, in the same way, um, Paul here, he begins to narrate the history of God from creation. He points to the person of Jesus Christ and he says, from the creation up to the time of Christ, God has overlooked the ignorance of people. Paul's message to the Athenians and to the Greek intellectuals in Areopagus is that there was a season, there was a period before Christ came that God overlooked the ignorance of people they weren't they did not know Christ and so their uh, accountability was not standard to their knowledge of Christ and um, now he tells them because of Jesus Christ specifically his resurrection that he's vindicated as God that the resurrection proves that Jesus is God that's Satan does not win, death does not win, that Christ wins uh, and Christ reigns forevermore. And because of Christ, there's assurance that he alone is God. Now we're accountable through the person of Jesus. And here's my main point that I want us to walk away with. Here's the um, takeaway. It's this, the age of ignorance is over. Now is the time of repentance and salvation. Go ahead and write that down. The age of ignorance, Paul says, God overlooked. The age of ignorance is over. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, now is the time of repentance and salvation. And what Paul does here is that he lays down four um, theological truths. Okay, He lays down four pillars of who God is in order that we may repent from our sins and turn our faith to Christ. The first one is in verse 24 and 25. Paul lays down that God is absolutely self-sufficient. God is absolutely self-sufficient. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world, you see there, he created, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. 
and I highlighted this, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what Paul lays down here is the self-sufficiency of God. Uh, in theology, we call this the aseity of God, that he is sufficient unto himself, that God is independent of anything outside of himself. The term aseity is from the Latin phrase ase, meaning from or by himself, meaning that God, the creator of the universe who spoke things into existence, he is not needy that he needed to create people because he was lonely. That God did not create people so that he has a big ego so that people could worship him and glorify him. No, in the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are completely in harmony and perfect relationship. Jonathan Edwards, he calls it, it's like the overflow of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. That they're in this perfect union, this trinity, this unity in the triune God. That they want others to enjoy fellowship and relationship and intimacy with God. So that's why uh, God created us uh, people in His image. God is not in any way dependent on anything outside himself, but he has sufficient resources within himself in all that he does. The Lord of time, he, is, he exists above and apart from time, but he is free to enter into time to accomplish his purpose. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith that there's a timeline of human history. God, he's the author, he can step aside and he can step back and he could look through history and he enters in and he's there. He authors, he perfects, he wills things into existence, he wills things to happen, but he enters in and he is completely independent of anything God is not needy God is not lonely Paul says he is he does not need anything from us but because of his great love towards us he made us so that we could have relationship with him because he's the creator of time he stands above it he has no beginning, he has no end. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. God does not change. He is equally conscious of past, present and future. He is outside of space and time where we are confined to space and time in a timeline. God is outside of that. And he's not limited by the passing of time in what he can accomplish. Because God is self-sufficient. So that's your theological term of the day, right? The aseity of God, that God is self-sufficient. Secondly, a God is creator and he's completely sovereign over the nations. He is creator and he is sovereign. Let's look at verse 26. And he made from one man... 
every nation of mankind to live in all of the face of the earth, having, so he made us, and he having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Did you catch that? Not only is God self-sufficient, but God is creator and that he's completely sovereign, meaning he's completely in control of all the nations of the earth. Uh, social uh, scientist Luke Kemp says that after having analyzed dozens and dozens of civilizations, what's a civilization? He defined it as a society with agriculture, multiple cities, military dominance in its geographical region. From 3000 BC to 600 AD, he calculated that the average lifespan of a civilization is close to 340 years. 340 years. God, not only has He made us through one man, through Adam, but He determines the nation's allotted periods, meaning He determines the length of time that civilizations, that governments, that nations should rise and should fall. Not only the length of time, but he, it says right here that the boundaries of their dwelling place, that God also determines the breadth of space, that God determined how far Rome should conquer. God determined how far uh, the Babylonians could extend their power. God determined how far America or Europe, all these great um, nations and countries God determines the period and also the boundaries of their dwelling place. But there's a purpose, and this is the genius of God. Number three, that God's purpose in ruling the nations is to put them in a search. Fill that in, in a search for Him. That God's master plan in ruling the nations their boundary, their period of time, and their space is so that the nations would put a search for Him. Let's look at verse 27. That they, what does they what's the antecedent of they? The nations should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has placed eternity into the heart of man. In your heart, in my heart, God has placed this sense of eternity. That the things of this world that are temporal, it, it seeks us to look for something that is eternal. Is this really it? And God sovereignly rules the nations. He determines the periods and times and boundaries of the people in this earth so that He could put them on a quest. He could put them in a mission to search after Him. In theology, there's this term called common grace that uh, Jesus says that God causes His reign 
to pour down on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, meaning that God sovereignly gives good things to everybody, that there's a common grace to each person, that he provides food and water and um, the quality and the gift of life, both to Christians and non-Christians. But the purpose of the common grace of God's provision and also for the nations to rise and to fall is that knowing the boundaries of time and space, we would turn to Him. You see, civilizations don't last. God does. Societies collapse. God does not. Governments are temporary. God is permanent. Life is temporal. God is eternal. People lie and they change their minds, but God is truth and He is constant. And when we think of presidents, that God appoints those in authority so we don't put our trust in a political party. We don't trust, put our faith and our hope in a president or a nation, that there's no Christian nationalism. We live in two worlds, the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. When our loyalties are divided, when push comes to shove, we live for the kingdom of God. You know, let me ask you, uh, it's a common uh, perception or common knowledge but uh, what's it, what's kind of, if you get your Bible, what's kind of like in the middle of the Bible? The middle of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. God sovereignly rules over the nations. So we see that even nations and civilizations are temporal. There has to be something more than a political party. There has to be something more than ethnic uh, belonging or ethnic identity. There has to be something more than a, a political affiliation. There has to be something more than a loyalty to government or to a nation. As great as America is, Nations rise, nations fall, God determines it, but He allows it so that people would not put their trust in the government or in systems or political parties, but we would put our trust and our hope in Christ, that we would turn and seek after Him. And we'll go ahead and close with this. In verse 27, Paul says, God is near. Look at verse 27b. God is near. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and we have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. So God, He created us. He sovereignly rules over the nations. And the purpose that he brings civilizations up and down. 
is so that we could somehow trust in Him and we would seek after Him. And when we seek after Him, He is near. God is as close to you as your breath. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All of, the, all of history, the little uh, poo-poos, the little appetizer, the foreshadowing that God has peppered all throughout Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, it points to a Savior. The age of ignorance is over. When we come before God, when we realize our own sinfulness and our need of a Savior, we don't look to, uh, oh yeah, you know, the guy upstairs. You know, I just want to thank the guy upstairs who's been watching out for me. We don't call out to a generic God. We call out and plead mercy to Jesus Christ, King of the universe. The age of ignorance is over. It's pow. It's done with. There's not just mahalo keakua like this um, ethereal God in space. The big guy upstairs. No, it, it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So today is a day of repentance and it is a day of salvation. Paul, when Paul faced the Athenians, he faces us today here in Honolulu or wherever you're at. Every people on earth that the meaning of our day is that times of ignorance are over and that God commands us to repent, turn away from our sins, turn and believe in Christ and be saved from the judgment that is to come. And as we bring uh, this uh, series to a close, You've seen the providence of God. You've seen the thumbprint of God and how He moves in individuals, how He moves in nations, how He works all things for the good. But it's not the knowledge of God. It's a personal surrender to Jesus Christ. So let me go ahead and pray for us this morning. Uh, Father, we thank You, Lord, that... Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6 says, The mystery that's been held back, that's been hidden from ages, has now been fully revealed into the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that every single person within the sound of my voice, that we would have a personal relationship, a personal depth and knowledge of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm in the gospel and the good news of Christ and Him crucified. So, Lord, I pray, oh God, some of us, we put our faith in a circumstance. We put our faith maybe in a person. 
We put our hope in a relationship. Maybe we put our faith in a political affiliation, political party. But Lord, I pray God, as Psalm 118 says, it is better to put our trust in the Lord than to put our hope in man. So Father, I pray that you would reorient, reorient us back to you. Lord, would you renew our first love, that we would turn to you recognize that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.